Merry Christmas to you all. I um, learned a couple things. I learned that there are four stages of life as it relates to Santa Claus. Now, this is more for men than it is women, okay? Uh, it's, It's the stages of life that we seem to go through. When you're little, stage number one is you believe in Santa, okay? And then somewhere along the way, you move to stage number two where you you don't believe in Santa. And then you get a little older, you have your kids, and you're stage number three, you are Santa. And then you finally go to stage number four where I'm at, and that is that you look like Santa. That's stage number four. I see a couple of other Santa Clauses in the room tonight as well, so... Don't look quite so pious and holy at me tonight, okay? Something else I found kind of interesting. Someone has compared Santa Claus and, and to the Lord Jesus in a piece called Santa versus Jesus. Now, just hang on. Don't get mad at me yet. Santa lives at the North Pole. Jesus lives everywhere. Santa rides in a sleigh, but Jesus rides on the wind and he walks on the water. Santa comes once a year, but Jesus is an ever-present help. Santa comes down your chimney, but Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. Santa fills your stockings with goodies. Jesus supplies all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. You have to wait in line to see Santa, but guess what? Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. Santa lets you sit in his lap. But Jesus holds you in the hollow of his hands. Santa has a belly like a bowl of jelly, but Jesus has a heart of love. Santa's little helpers makes new toys, but Jesus makes new lives. Santa puts gifts under your tree, but Jesus became our gift and he died on a tree. Now, based upon all that, which one do you think is worthy of your worship, your adoration, and your praise tonight? Come on, put your hands together and bless the name of the Lord. By show of hands, how many of you open your presents on Christmas morning? Raise your hands if you open on Christmas morning. Okay, a good percentage of you. How many of you will open your presents tonight after this service? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, I promise not to preach more than two hours tonight so that you have time to get home. Yesterday morning in the service, we talked about who is in the manger. Tonight, for just a very few short minutes, I promise, I want to talk about why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? Why? Why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? And I know it's been read, and you've heard heard it probably several times this season already, but let me just remind you the first part of Luke chapter 2, and then I'm going to give a certain focus. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while say it for me. Yes, while he was governing Syria. I know how to say it, I just couldn't do it. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was 
that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There's no question that the birth of Jesus is a time that is surrounded by many, many, many miracles. There are angelic appearances. There is a virgin conception. There is split-second timing as to the precise moment of his birth, and God's hand is evident. Every time I read it, it is evident to me that God's hand is on every aspect of the birth of Christ. But probably the most astonishing part of this miraculous story, one that always um, gets my attention and becomes a focus for me, is in verse 7 that we just read. And I never cease to be amazed at it. She brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In our house this Christmas with a new baby who happens to be here tonight. Hi, Kenzie. Your papa loves you. You love your papa, don't you? You're waving at me. At our house... This Christmas with a new baby, we, we're going to great lengths to be sure that everything is extra clean. We go to great lengths to be sure she's comfortable and that everything is just right. And then when you think about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come to this world and be placed in a manger, it's almost beyond our comprehension. Think about a manger is a feeding trough for farm animals, and it's a a fine place for feeding sheep or cattle, but it's certainly no place for a baby to be placed, any baby, much less the Son of God. But I'm confident we can rest assured that God knew what He was doing, and there was absolute intentionality to every detail of the coming of Christ. So our question tonight for just a few minutes is not who is in the manger. We talked about that yesterday morning. Our question tonight is why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger. And I'm going to present maybe four quick ideas. If we get that far, we'll see. Why was he laid in a manger? Number one, I'm going to tell you it's because of alienation. Because of alienation. When we read that Jesus was placed in this makeshift cradle because there was no room available for him and his family in the end, it makes me think that God placed the Lord of glory in a manger to remind us of our propensity toward alienation of him. There was a no vacancy sign put out that night at the hotel. There was no place, there was no room for the one who had literally come to redeem mankind, to redeem you and me of of our sins, and and the very one who'd come to give us eternal life. There was no room, there was no vacancy. Though his purpose in coming was beyond our comprehension, the response that he received from coming into this world was this, we have no room for the uh, secondary dean of our high school here, Kenny Edwards, wonderful man. When he was being considered to come on our staff just a few years ago, he was brought to me for an interview. And we had some general, you know, chit-chat to get acquainted. And But the moment came, as it always does in those interviews, when I wanted to hear of his encounter with Jesus. Tell me, how did you meet the Lord? Tell me something about your spiritual journey. Tell me how you encountered Christ and how did you come to know Jesus? And I do lots of these kinds of interviews, but somehow I've always remembered Kenny's response. He told me of going to some sort of retreat or a conference or a camp 
uh, of some kind where the challenge was given in that particular meeting and some service there. The challenge was given, do you have any room for Jesus in your life? And he said that somehow the reality of the question riveted him as he examined his, his own heart. He had to begin looking at his life and to, to ask himself directly that question, do I have room in my heart? Is there room in my life for Jesus? And Kenny told me that in that moment he had to take inventory of his life when he, where he realized all the other things for which he had made room, all the other things that had crowded in, all the things that he had made place for, but he had not made room for Jesus. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he sensed in that moment brought him to a place of surrendering himself, surrendering his life, and making Jesus the Lord of his life. There are some very poignant lyrics in the last half of the fourth verse of the hymn that has been sung in churches for years, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And uh, it's probably the part of the verse, usually if you get all the way through to the fourth verse of some of the hymns, you find some of the richest lyrics or the most poignant or, or, or powerful lyrics is quite often are tucked away in the fourth verse I've found. But here's what it says in that fourth verse of Come Thou Found. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We all have that propensity. Prone to what my heart, is, I, you, we have to learn this about our hearts. Our hearts are prone to wander. We will always have the propensity to allow other things, the stuff of the world, the things, the other relationships, other, uh, other affections, other um, interests and hobbies and pleasures, and we will always have the propensity to let them come in and crowd our hearts. And this, that's why I think the Lord allowed his only son to be placed in a feeding trough at a place with a no vacancy sign out front. Because that serves to remind you and remind me to be sure that no matter what else we've allowed to come in, Whatever else has crowded and taken its place in our hearts, whatever's happened to you this year, the, the new things that have interested you, whatever it is that has crowded your own heart, the no vacancy sign that was there at that end, it serves as a reminder to us that we are never to be guilty of alienation of affection toward Jesus. The last part of that fourth verse to that hymn makes the commitment when it says, so Lord, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Why was the Lord of glory placed in a manger? Well, because of alienation, but I also think it was because of association. When Jesus allowed himself to be laid in that manger, he was identifying himself with those that he came to save. For example, he was identifying with our, our poverty. In just a few minutes, I'm sure, I glanced at the schedule, I'm sure that we'll be singing that beautiful, beautiful carol, O Holy Night. And we will come to that moment where we will take a deep breath, and it will be an incredible moment because it's a, the, the, the apex of that song. We'll take a deep breath, and we will lift our voices, and we will sing, He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And another lesser known Christmas 
song that I probably quoted it many, many years. You've heard, maybe the only place you've heard is from me because I love it. It says this, the chorus of the refrain says, His were the planets and the stars in the sky. His were the valleys and the mountains so high. His, all earth's kingdoms from pole unto pole. But he became poor to ransom my soul. Can anyone say hallelujah for that tonight? His being placed in a manger was identifying with our poverty just like when he said in Matthew chapter 8, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He was in coming and being laid in a manger. He was identifying with our poverty. But also, he was identifying with our problems. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do and yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God because there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Bless the Lord. He knows about the trials we face. Whatever it is you're walking through this season, whatever it is that is overtaking you, whatever it is that's causing you stress and tension in life and, and keeping you awakened. He knows the trials that we face and he has identified himself with them. That's why he says we are allowed to come boldly before the throne of grace because therefore he is able to help us through our troubles and meet the needs of our lives. He was identifying with our poverty. He was identifying with our problems. And I think church, he was laid in a manger to always keep us challenged with our priorities. When Jesus came to this world, he knew that mankind was basically greedy. Uh, yeah. And that we were in love with wealth and the pursuit of it. He was placed in a manger to teach us that there is a higher priority in life, and that priority is the glory of the Father. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, when speaking to the Pharisees who are right there in that 16th chapter of Luke, he declares them to be lovers of money. He said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And here's sort of the, the, the phrase he gives us, got a bit of a sting to it. He says, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is highly esteemed, all the things that you think you have to have, all the things that everybody else seems to say are necessary for you to be cool and for you to have it all together and for all of the appearances to be, it's, the Bible says that's an abomination in the sight of God. He was born in that humble major to remind men that the greatest aspiration of the human soul is to seek the glory of Almighty God above and beyond everything else. I say it again, there was intentionality to God's purpose and plan, and it all of it serves as reminders to us. Why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? I think it was because of accessibility. Imagine for a moment that Jesus had been born in Herod's palace amid all the riches and finery of that place. Imagine that his bed had been a golden crib Imagine him having enjoyed a life of abundance and plenty. Imagine him being separated from the common man by the walls and guards of a king's palace. 
If that were the case, would you feel the liberty to come to him? Probably not. However, he was laid in a manger. He was born in a manger, and therefore he made himself accessible to all who would come to him. The Christmas story we know records the visit of the shepherds. Those common dirty guys had no problem approaching him. They felt the liberty, they felt the freedom, they felt the accessibility to approach him in that place. But then later, even the wise men, they, these learned, wealthy men, felt equally at home bowing before him. And I'm certain that one of the reasons Jesus shunned the palace in favor of the stable is so that he would be available to anyone who desires to come to him. Every once in a while, I get asked a question. Somebody will say, maybe someone who knows about Bethesda, not necessarily a member here or a regular attender, but someone I've met outside somewhere, they'll say, so tell me, what kind of church is Bethesda Church? And I love it when I get asked that question because, oh boy, do I have an answer. And And the answer is this, Bethesda is clearly a whosoever will church. Thank God that the gospel is inclusive of all. This is a whosoever will church. That means it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you have run from God or where you are today. The arms of Jesus are open to you. The circles he draws are not exclusive. The circles that Jesus draws are inclusive. He says, whosoever will may come to him. Somebody say thank God for that tonight. Why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? Because of alienation and our propensity toward that. Because of association. Because of accessibility. And finally, I think it was because of an announcement. When Mary took her newborn baby and placed him in that feeding trough, she was painting an image far, far, far more vivid than she realized. For there in Bethlehem, known as the house of bread, there in Bethlehem, that little town, that little village, little hamlet known as the house of bread, it was there that the bread of life was born. Isn't it appropriate that the one who would feed the souls of countless multitudes should have as his bed the very place where animals came to be fed. I think it's another reminder this Christmas. It's a reminder that when hungry men come to Jesus and receive him, he satisfies the longing of their souls and he gives them the bread of life. It was almost as if God was saying, Dinner is served. Come and dine. Speaking of being hungry. You never know when you're talking to an audience like this what the Lord is doing in someone's life. I never know. In fact, I'm usually surprised if I ever even do find out that the Lord is the one who creates the hunger within you for him. My words may mean little to nothing, but it is the Holy Spirit who creates hunger. I have heard some wonderful testimonies in recent days from parents whose kids have run away from God. There was one lady that's in the house tonight who is, ha- is having an incredible reunion with her children. 
her adult children who things weren't so good just not so long ago. In fact, she has come to this service every year, well, many other services, but she's come to this particular Christmas Eve service every year, and usually I'm the one who prays with her, and I prayed with her again tonight. But God, by His Holy Spirit, has done something in the heart of the young people in her life, in her children. They're calling her mom. <laughs> they are wanting to be with her, and something has happened. And I said to her tonight, I said, what, so what happened? And the truth is there's no answer except to say, it's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And it just reminds me of this, and I think I said it yesterday morning. There is no heart so hardened. There is not a heart so hardened. There's not someone who's run so far from God that the Holy Spirit can't reach them. He can show up in any heart. He can walk through any wall. There is nothing that can keep him out when the Holy Spirit comes after you and reveals the person of Jesus Christ. Is there an amen to that tonight? I think you've gone to sleep on me or it's too dark in here or something. I am so buoyed in my faith tonight, particularly for those who've wandered away from the Lord. For those of you who've been praying for friends and loved ones and, and workmates, just remember it's He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who can literally captivate a heart in, in a way that you can't even imagine. So keep praying. Keep praying that he will continue to do his work. They will encounter a certain person. They will encounter a certain experience. Something will arrest their attention that will draw them back to Jesus. And wouldn't it be wonderful it happened this Christmas season? Why was Jesus placed in a manger? To remind us to keep room in our hearts for him. To remind us that he identifies with our poverty, our problems, and to help us to keep our priorities straight. He was laid in a manger to remind us that he is accessible to the young, the old, the rich, the poor, anyone, the whosoever will, he is accessible to them. And he was placed in a manger to remind us that he is the bread of life and that we are invited to come and dine. And the church said, amen. Pastor Brent, would you come? Staff, those of you who are serving communion, I think the trays are here on either side. Would you please come and get your trays? Our pastoral team are going to come and help serve you tonight as we go to the table of the Lord. I want you to know this is an open table. If you declare Jesus Christ as Lord, if your life is his, you are welcome. You are welcome to participate with us. You will find that there are two, cap, two cups, one stacked on top of the other, and the bottom cup is the bread. And obviously, The juice is in the top cup. Let me just say this before we sing whatever Pastor Brent's going to lead us in. If you've come to this Christmas and you've become aware that there's something stirring in your heart, just recognize that the Lord is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he wants to come in. And you can do away with any preconceived ideas of what you think that means or what that's supposed to be. He wants to be the distinctive Lord of your life. And all I ask you to do is talk to somebody about it. I want you to know we would be honored and privileged here at Bethesda. Any of the pastors, any of our leaders would be happy to pray with you. You, make, you come with your questions. Come with your doubts. Come just like you are. 
Come with all of it. Come with the stuff. And we would be honored, shocked at nothing, but honored for the privilege of praying with you and let you begin 2019 in a relationship with Jesus. What a joy that would be.